amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 8, Episode 2. In this week's episode, we went over the trial testimony, and I have to make a correction here. Uh, Throughout the entire episode, every single time I said the man's name, I said Patrick Glass, when in fact the crime scene investigator's name is Patrick Gass, uh, G-A-S-S, which uh, in my defense, I got the name from the... uh, case summaries that I had available to me to help me break down the trial transcript. And then I actually saw in the transcript at one point where it said Mr. Gas. And I thought, huh, the stupid transcriber got his name wrong. Uh, but, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but as it turns out, I was the one with his name wrong. But I covered uh, uh, Patrick Gas's testimony. He was the crime scene investigator on the scene at the Courtney double homicide. And we have many, many questions uh, that we need to get through. I'm joined remotely, as always, by Mr. Mike Bussing. Hey, everybody. And Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, guys. All right. So uh, after a short break for a sponsor, we're going to get right into the show. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's nothing like Ireland's wild Atlantic way. 1,600 miles of soaring cliffs, dreamy remote islands, and buzzing little towns. Not to mention the seafood. Oh, the seafood. And if you drive with Irish ferries, you'll arrive relaxed and ready to explore. Bring the whole gang, pets and all. Fill the boot with goodies and get a warm Irish welcome before you even get to Ireland. Hop across from Hollyhead to Dublin. Book early at irishferries.com and see travel differently. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Kimberly has three questions. Her first question is, how would the niece know if her aunt had her cast iron skillets out on the counter to season them? Also, had she been to the house that day? Can you elaborate, Bob? I, she had not been to the house that day, and that's a good question. I don't, that's why I said in the episode that I, you know, I, that's what I've been told. I have no way of knowing if that's true. We're talking about a family member. But also who happens to be a judge, she's very sharp, she knows the system, and and she stated to me as fact that she was seasoning the pans that day. But to be honest, I have no possible way of knowing if that's true. And we may hear, when we get into uh, Debbie Perringer's testimony, 
we may find out that you know she she says that maybe later in the testimony. I don't know. Once we get to her testimony, we'll find out. But even again, that's it's just not something that I think that we can know for a fact. All right. Our next question is: Do we know for certain that the shoes by the front door belong to Lloyd? Oh, before I answer that question, it just popped into my head. Last week, I said I wasn't sure on Deborah Messenger, Deborah Perringer's, Deborah Messenger. She's unwilling grace. Uh, Deborah <laughs> Perringer's uh, height and weight, and uh, a listener. I don't remember if it was Pamela Westby or might have been Don McElhaney. I don't remember. One of them was able to find. Uh, that information on uh, where she was jailed, and she is listed as five foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds. So I, I wasn't far off based on the pictures. I think I said that I think she was probably five foot four and somewhere around one eighty. So she's about an inch shorter than that and a little heavier than that. And so now the question you had, Mike, was: or Do we know if the shoes were Lloyd's? Yes, the shoes by the front door. Uh, so the only reason I believe they're Lloyd's is because during the testimony of Patrick Gass, not Glass, he was asked that um, during cross-examination if those were Lloyd's shoes. And he said either, yes, they were. Yes, I believe they were. So it, it seems as though it's been confirmed. But I mean, I was honestly, and I guess it's a good time to ask, you know, Zach, I'm curious what you thought about it. But I, for me, I was a little frustrated going through this testimony. I fully expect, I mean, there's 220 pages of testimony. And usually the CSI episodes are where we get the most detailed information about the scene. And it was really frustrating for me that, number one, the state didn't go into any detail about anything. And um, on Cross, you know, they, they did on a few things. Uh, uh, the attorney, uh, Bays, went into a few things. But, man, there's still so many questions that you, I, I would have thought would have come up and would have been answered during that testimony. What, what did you think about the about the the episode, I guess, in general, Zach. Well, to go around your question for a second, I actually watched the crime scene video before I listened to the episode. So I kind of tried to break it down myself. Not that I know what I'm doing, but I tried to break it down myself. And the one assumption you came to a little bit in the episode was that possibly Lloyd was in the the dining room before Agnes came home. Yeah, like his body was already in the dining room. Yeah, and that's what I thought when I watched the video is when you see the video come through and, and pan through the dining room, you can barely see his feet sticking out past the table. Right. And then the groceries are right there. So that's what, you know, that was my first thought was maybe he was already there and she didn't see him until she was almost past him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the same thing for me. I thought if he was on the couch when she came home, then she would have seen him right away. But if he was in his mm-hmm. final resting place, the dining room table was in the way. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that I thought about possibly too with the the lack of questioning or the the lack of precision with like photos and in, in the the video is possibly they're in shock. You know, they go into a friend's house to do this. You know, it's not just a normal crime scene. It's somebody they know that maybe they weren't up to par on their game because they're they're kind of in shock having to go in and do this. Now, I know they're professionals and they should be doing it 100% properly, but that's just what I see first off is, is if they come in this house and I, and I know that that's my friend laying on the floor, you're not fully there. You're not fully doing everything. You're, you're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know, it, it didn't seem from the transcript that Lloyd was a, a friend of, of Officer Gaz's. You know, it, it seemed like he knew him. Or he'd seen him around type of thing. Okay. But, but that's, that's, that's very possible. But the other thing is, 
you know, I said in the episode that he had been investigating crime scenes for five and a half years, but my understanding when I read through the transcript, look at that was at the time of the trial, which was about two years after the actual murder. It was, you know, the trial was in 2003, I believe. Um, I'll have to go back to my notes on that, but you know, which means he also was not a seasoned crime scene investigator. He had been, yeah. he'd only been doing it for a few years. And he even said in the beginning of the testimony that typically he is the assisting crime scene tech to another officer. But that other officer, I think, I think he said something like he had another, he had a, he had another case that he needed to go work. So that's why Officer Gas ended up taking the lead on this. And, and I, it didn't come out and say that, but I almost got the impression that this maybe was one of the first times where he's, he's had the lead. So it could just be inexperience as well. Mm-hmm. And the, the other couple of things that I noticed through the video and through the episode was, you know, we talk about the trash can that was knocked over. And to me, it, it almost looks like a laundry hamper more than a trash can. Right. Yeah. And that's what they said in the testimony. And, and then the, the missing lid, I, I get that the, they found the lid. Am, am I correct in saying that? Yeah. And somebody said that on Facebook that you can see the lid under the can in the photo. Oh, okay. I didn't see it. I'll, 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 I, I didn't see it. I'll have to go back through and look at it again. I heard a story about where the lid was found, but again, it's, I, 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 I'm waiting to put any of that information out until I can verify it. Gotcha. And see, that makes more sense that there was a lid because at first when there was a question about the lid missing, it didn't really strike me because there's a lot of people that have trash cans that don't have lids. Like I don't, I couldn't tell you a family member of mine that doesn't have a, or that does have a lid on their trash can. You know what I mean? It, it right. doesn't, it didn't strike me as weird to not have a lid on the trash can. Yeah. The only reason I brought it up is because I know that they eventually found Debbie's blood on the lid. You know, so I, so because of that, I knew there was a lid and like, you couldn't see it in the, in the video. What do you think about the fact that they, they supposedly all together inspected the lid and thought, nah, there's nothing, nothing to see here. And then later they find, you know, supposedly the killer's blood on it. Yeah, that seems really strange to me that that a group of people would get together and, and inspect it and decide that there was nothing on it worth testing, but then later find out that the killer's blood is on it. Seems strange. There was a couple of things that I think were strange. I know there was a listener that pointed out, and, and I'm coming at this as a listener as well. For For those that don't know, I don't look into these cases. Literally what I'm learning from these cases is what we learn on the podcast. So there's a lot of listeners that dive way deeper than I get to I see on the fan page that there was a listener that had found crime scene photos and compared it to the video. And if you look at the the groceries that were set down, they're they're totally different in the crime scene photo compared to the video. Right. And that was I was trying to articulate that in the episode because that was brought up in the cross examination. And that's where the defense attorney, you know, suggested that, you know, he he said, who defiled this crime scene? Because in the video the handles to the bags were like pointed straight up. But in the crime scene photos later, the bags were laid to the side. And I, I don't know. I have to look. I, I sent all of the crime scene photos over to Katie to put on the website. And I assume she got them up, but maybe she hasn't because if somebody had said they had to find crime scene. And I saw a few people posting screenshots. So I'll make sure by the time this is up, I'll make for sure that those are up on the website. But they should already be. There's some weird things, too, about the bananas. So like in the crime scene video, which was taken supposedly before the photos. It looks like the bags tipped over and the bananas came were out of the bag. But then there's a crime scene photo where the bag that ba- that other bag is still almost upright and the bananas are inside of it. And so it seems like there was photos taken before, during and after the video. Yeah, that's strange. Probably there's probably a lot of moving people through the crime scene and somebody just kicked it over 
Grocery grocery bags, especially ones with like bananas in them, right? Tend to not balance very well. Yeah, they're not stable. And my only other thought that I really had, and I'm sure there's more that'll come to me, but the the other thought I had was the missing skillet handles. That seemed really strange to me. That the killer would have taken the the skillet handles. What what seemed strange to me was that there was one left. Well, yeah, I guess that's the thing is that they took three of the four. It, yeah, it it makes total sense that that they would take the skill handles because they'd be afraid they had their fingerprints on them, but then they left one. And it definitely, I mean, obviously times have changed since then, but you know, as we found with MVAC, you know, those, those are pretty porous. I mean, they'd be a great place for DNA to be stuck in. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, this, uh, we're doing the medical evidence this week and the next week we're doing forensics and I can't wait to dig into that. Cause I'm, I'm hoping a lot of questions will get answered. Trying to envision that the way that cr- this thing played out is bizarre as heck. Cause now Remember last week I was talking about how it was it's just strange that so many of these cast iron pa- pans were used. Now we have to imagine this person taking just the handles, all but one, and walking out. Like, it's just, it's like, how, how can you actually envision this as actually happening? I'm with you, man. It, is, it, is, it just does not make sense to me. Kimberly's last question is, is there any evidence, photos, or information about the garage at the house? You know, I have the DA's file, the district clerk's file, and the police department file. And they were in the trial looking, it sounded like they were looking at photos of the garage, but I don't have any. Uh, so I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I just didn't get them or if they're buried in a, they, they kind of sent the file to me a little strangely. Or if they're, you know, they're buried in the file somewhere. But, you know, I, I would really like to see, because I want to see if Agnes's shoes are out there. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Karen says, do we know what was in those grocery bags? And also, do we know if those were the only two bags or were there more in the car that had not been unloaded yet? Again, these are these are great questions. And this was my frustration with gas. I, I, I will say that it was his testimony was refreshing. We've read a lot of, you know, if you go back to Maurice from season six, you know, the crime scene tech and the Melgar case, who just, you know, just was obstinate and spun everything to try to fit the state's narrative. He didn't do that. He was a good witness. He was, I, I feel like he was being honest and he was trying not to overstep his bounds. So as a, as a witness, as a human being, I like the guy from what I read. But as far as the job he did on the scene, like, this is ridiculous. Like, you should know every, we should know every item that was in that trash can. We should know every item that were in those groceries. We should know everything that was on the receipts. We should know everything, you know, if there was another bag left anywhere, if there were any, you know, because I want to know, were there any cold items? 
you know, because all of a sudden this does this isn't panic, right? So if you look at the receipt and there's a gallon of milk and the gallon of milk is in the fridge, well, that tells me she came home and she put the stuff that needed to be refrigerated away and then she, you know, went back to her room. You know, and if, if there's not anything cold that doesn't tell us, you know, anything one way or the other, but it could be definitive if if we had some information like that. So I'm I'm desperately hoping that when we get into forensics or, or more witnesses that we'll get some of that information because it's, you know, this case is complicated enough without the fact that we had such an inadequate job of a crime scene investigation and documentation. Speaking of that, I there was something that just came to my mind was the the note and the knife. And, you know, we assumed or presumed that it was stabbed into his leg, but then Gas's report sounds like it wasn't actually stabbed into his leg. It was just through his pants. Yeah. And then again, no further questions. Yeah, that's strange to me. Like in the in the trial testimony, he's like, and that was stabbed into his leg. He said, "Well, not into the skin," and then he just moved on. And I'm, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, that that was really strange to me. Granted, I'm not a chef; I don't know anything. But like looking at the knife, they said it was a paring knife, but the the photos I've seen doesn't look like a paring knife. It looks almost like a butter knife. Paring knives are sharp. No, it's a, it's a paring knife. It's a short, you know, maybe three inch blade. Then what? I don't know what the photo I've been looking at, but the photo I've been looking at sure does not look like a paring knife to me. It's like a white plastic handle and then a, mm-hmm. a short. Um, but yeah, I don't know what kind of butter knife you have, but mine have longer blades than that, and they're round. Maybe I'm looking at a different photo. I don't know. Could be, but yeah, it was it was a it was a it, it, well the one that was stabbed into the note was was definitely a paring knife. But and you can see in the close up video or photos of that that it was bent. But then it was like, it was like, well, he said not into the skin. So what does that mean? Does that mean somebody tried to stab it in and it bent and didn't go in? Does it mean that they carefully stabbed it into the pants and not into his leg? Like all these are behavioral things that we really need to know. And they just kind of shit the bed on the, on the documentation of it. Marius says, if I'm not mistaken, Agnes was not found in the master bedroom, but in a smaller secondary bedroom. Is there any evidence to indicate she would use that room, for example, for naps, as opposed to the master bedroom? I think it was the master bedroom. There were, there were only three bedrooms in the house, and it seemed like one was used as Agnes's kind of office study room, and the other was used as Lloyd's kind of office and study area, and then there was the bedroom. So as, as far as I know, that, that was the master bedroom. I guess I could be wrong. I'll have to go back and, and look some more. Maybe that's just an assumption that I made, but uh, I remember... Trying to, in my mind's eye, I can remember at least one of those bedrooms had like a little twin bed in it, and the bed was covered with papers and stuff. I think that was Agnes's room, but yeah, I, I believe that was the the room that they slept in. Ashley says, "Why are we so sure that Agnes was napping? It could be that she set the groceries down and went to use the bathroom and was ambushed on her way back down the hall. Like in the Melgar case, the killer or killers may have slid into the garage behind her without her knowledge." It, to be clear, I'm not sure she was napping. It's, it, that's definitely like a, a big question that's up in the air for me. I think my words I used in the episode were that the defense attorney Bays all but has me convinced that she was napping just through the the back and forth. And it, it, that's one of the few areas where we drew a lot of detail out. And the fact that, you know, obviously there is the question of, you know, the the good Southern woman thing, right? That, you know, they they turn up the bed from the bottom. I've never heard that before. Um, but if that's a thing that it would indicate sure that she was napping, but to me, regardless, the sheets were, were turned up. The bed was made, the top of the bed was made and the bottom. It wasn't, you know, so like what I'm getting at is if she was just attacked and fell onto the bed during the attack, she would have been on top of like the comforter on the, on top of all the bedding. 
but that bedding is all pulled back and then all the blood and, and everything is on the sheets and, and there and there's a pillow down on that end of the bed uh which would seem to support what uh what her niece had told me that you know that's how she would nap is she would kind of you know turn up the bed from the bottom and then lay across that way she wouldn't have to remake the rest of the bed but i i just can't see a scenario where those sheets are pulled up and there's a pillow on the bottom of the bed where she just like during an attack fell onto the bed. So while we're on the topic of the bed and the sheets, Shauna says, I am the 10th generation of my family born in my small town in Arkansas, my family having moved here in 1820. I can promise you I am a bona fide Southern woman and proud of it. This whole thing with the bed sheets blows my mind. I've never heard of anything like it in my life. And my mother, grandmothers and great grandmothers did not practice this. What would be the difference in making the bottom of the bed or the top of the bed after a nap? However, it could be a throwback to her childhood if she came from a big family. Many large families used to sleep several children to a bed, and they would sleep across the bed instead of from the headboard to the footboard. You could fit more kids in that way. What are your thoughts here, Bob? Well, I have no point of reference on this, uh, so I, I don't know. You know, I I don't know if that's a normal practice. Um, her niece sim- seemed to indicate Agnes's niece seemed to indicate that that was her standard practice. Uh, I do understand the logic of it in that you know when you make a bed that you you know you have your your decorative pillows and everything at the top of the bed. That's where you got to do your nice fold over the pillows and the throw pillows are on top to make it look nice. And if you're crawling to bed, you got to redo all that. But if you just pull the sheets and covers up from the bottom, all you got to do is flop them back down over there and, and not have to remake the the top of the bed. So I, I get the logic behind it. I get the reasoning for it. Um, and the other thing, but again, th- that pillow, the other thing that gives me reason to believe that she probably was napping is that pillow. Because the other thing that I was told was that they had like basically like a nap pillow. They had their decorative pillows all on the top of the bed and they would keep just a plain pillow for sleeping on in the closet. And then when they would go to take a nap, they would pull out that pillow, turn the bottom up and lay down. And when we were done, they'd put the pillow back in the closet and fold it back down. And the fact that there is a pillow on the bottom of the bed and the sheets are turned up, again, I'm not saying that I'm certain she was napping, but but man, the, the evidence sure seems to indicate that's what was happening. Gerald says, how was the note from the crime scene processed? Fingerprints or DNA? According to Gass's testimony, it was processed for both, but he wasn't sure. We'll have to get into the forensics because, you know, he, he was very clear to state that, you know, he didn't do that testing. You know, that they collected it and, and he said, you know, the color discoloration they see on the note was from a certain type of chemical they use for fingerprint and DNA testing. But I, I'm really curious to see if they fingerprinted it because, they, you know, they showed some patterns on there. We, we, we see in, in some of the photos, probably trying to figure out which printer it came from. But, you know, as I've said before, Mike and I learned when we were down in Mississippi at a, at a fingerprint lab that literally the best thing to pull fingerprints off of is paper, mm-hmm. which was surprising to me. And it would seem if that note was brought from someone's home, it would seem unlikely to me that I mean, it's possible, but that they would have the foresight to wear gloves from the moment they took the paper out of the package and put it in the printer and then folded it up before they went somewhere. Um, so yeah, I, I'm curious. I, I'm I'm dying to get into the forensics episode, but we got to get through the ME episode first to figure out what actually happened to the Courtneys. Sue says, "Any chance the bin was actually holding recyclables and not trash, and did not have a trash liner? It looks like recyclables in the pile to me. Was there another trash can? And I know you guys were talking about it earlier, as if it might have been a laundry hamper too, right?" 
Well, I, I think its intended use was a laundry hamper. That's what it looked like. But it, it seemed like it was being used as a trash can of sorts. Yeah, the materials in there look like they could be recyclable. But I, I don't know. Again, this is just this is one of the biggest frustrations, not knowing exactly what was in there, not knowing if there was another trash can. We have no photos like under the sink or anywhere to see if there's another trash can. I'll have to go back through and look at the video. Uh, because, yeah, you you... I mean, everybody has a trash can in their kitchen somewhere. So I'll have to get back to you on that. I'll have to go through the video again. And hopefully hopefully, we're going to find some of these answers as we keep digging deeper and deeper into the case. Kelly says, was it standard practice to remove your shoes when entering the Courtney's house? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know because, you know, the niece that I've spoken with was not, you know, was close to them, but not that close. I don't know if she would for sure know that. I mean, Lloyd's shoes, we believe are Lloyd's shoes, were found right next to the front door. Uh, which would obviously indicate that he, you know, took a, would take him off when he would come into the house, unless that's just a pair that he keeps by the front door for, you know, walking out to get the newspaper in the morning or something. I, I just don't know. Michelle wants to know if either Smitty or Agnes worked in any felon or parolee rehabilitation programs. No, not that I'm aware of. Uh, Agnes worked in the family division of the courts, but she was just a secretary, and um, Smitty was he was comp- he was strictly a fingerprint analyst. Ari says, Agnes's wallet was found without cash. Do we know if she usually carried cash with her? Also, was there anything else missing from her wallet, such as her ID or her credit or debit cards? Nothing was noted. Definitely not her ID, because we can see it in the video and uh, in, in the photos that her ID was still present. It looked like all the, the credit cards were present. And this is just like the Melgar case. You know, we, we can't get anywhere with the cash thing. You know, somebody could say, well, she always carried cash, but who, who knows if she was out of cash. So there's no, there's no way for us to know if she actually had cash in the wallet at that time or not. But again, that receipt will help with that, which hopefully we get to in the forensics episode because you'll be able to tell, did she pay with cash and did she get changed back? That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, if she used a credit card, it doesn't mean that she didn't have cash. But if she paid with cash, then we, would, we should know there should be some cash left in the wallet. And then her next question is, what size shoe did Agnes wear? Again, not noted, but hopefully in the forensics episode, we'll get that answer. Maria says, watching the video, I did not see any blood in the hallway at all. None on the walls, none on the floor, with the exception of possibly near the doorway to the first room on the right. I'm also curious about the lack of blood on the bottom of Agnes's socks. With all the blood on the bed and floor, how are her socks pristine? You know, that, that's a really good point. Yeah, there is. I, I didn't notice any blood in the hallway either, but there is quite a bit of blood in the dining room. So that could be the fact that she doesn't have any blood on the bottoms of her socks would be an indicator that obviously that you know one of the theories is well she maybe she took her shoes off in the garage before she came in. So if she took her shoes off in the garage before she came in, and then she walked into the house and found Smitty there on the floor. Then I would, it would seem almost impossible to me that she could have, she walked from the laundry room to the kitchen through the dining room and not gotten blood onto her socks at all. It also seems unlikely that she wouldn't, you know, hunch down over, you know, if you, you find your spouse there, your immediate reaction, I would think, would be to go to them and touch them. So another thing I want to see in the forensics episode is, is any of Smitty's blood on her, you know, that it would indicate that, you know, she went to, I would expect that if he walked in, if she walked in and he was already down, the the state's theory is that Debbie did it. So you know she's he's down, and Debbie's in the house. You know who knows what that would play out like, but you know even if it was something like I don't know there were you know 
surely she wouldn't just say, yeah, I did it. She would try to probably try to blame it on somebody else. Any, my point is there's a high likelihood, I think, that she would have dropped down and touched Smitty's body at that point, which would mean you would have some of his blood on her. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see when, when that happens. But the fact that her socks show no signs of blood on them at all, to me, says she did not walk through that dining room in her stocking feet, which means either she had her shoes on and they were taken off later or you know he, he wasn't down when she walked through. Because we also don't have any bloody footprints through the kitchen. So that's the other thing. Even if she was wearing shoes, if she stepped through that fresh blood and then she would, she would track it through the kitchen. You would think. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Misty says, I can't remember if you mentioned this or not, but is it normal for a fireman to be shooting such a thorough video of the crime scene? I've only heard of police doing this, at least where I come from anyway. No, it's not normal. Well, it's not normal for me where I work. Um, but but it is noted, they don't make it real clear, but it sounds like that the guy from the fire department was like an AV guy for the fire department. Like his job was to do video. So you got to understand this is Fort Worth is a big city. So it's not like, you know, our fire department, Mike, that we were on where, mm. you know, everybody's wearing a lot of hats. You know, I you was going to say in a small town, this wouldn't be that out of place. Right. But, but here I think what, the way it sounded is like, there's probably like, a, a division chief of audio and visual, you know, they're, they're, they're subdivided so far that they have people whose only job is to record things and do things like that. So it sounded like that's why he ended up doing the video. But, you know, it's also important to note that, you know, I mentioned earlier, and it came up in the testimony that Gas was asked when the crime scene photos were taken, when we were talking about the, the grocery bags that were up and then down. And he says they took the photos after the video, but then later it comes up that well, some were taken before, and if you watch the video, you can actually see him taking photos. Like, like you'll see the the red light and the flash while they're taking the video. So it seems like that's why I said I think the the photos were actually taken kind of before, during, and after the video, which which again screws everything up because especially when you look at the grocery bags, because things got moved, and you don't know the sequence of when the photo, the video, and the other photo were taken. Ginger asks, have you talked to Deb, and will we be hearing from her this season? We will not be hearing from her this season because she is in the medical unit, same unit as Sandy Melgar, and they cannot do interviews uh, when they're in the medical unit. So we won't be hearing from her. I haven't talked to her yet. I want to know more about the case before I speak to her. I, 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 don't, want, I, I don't see a benefit in, in this point in the investigation in getting to know her and 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 hearing her side of things when I don't I, I don't have my brain wrapped around the case yet. 
Um, so we're doing things differently this season. Typically, you'll hear from the person who was convicted pretty early on, but I, I want to know more about the case so that when I talk to her, I know which questions to ask her and see if we can clear some of this up. Right now, we're just still doing that. Like Again, this, this season's out of the ordinary. A lot of this groundwork we're doing right now normally would be done before we ever start the, the season, before we ever start the case in the podcast. I know you already talked about blood inside the house, Bob, but Kelly wants to know, was there any blood or transfer blood found anywhere in the front yard, driveway, garage, or backyard? None that's been noted, but again, we may get more answers during the forensic episode. Katina wants to know if the Courtney's were hard of hearing or wore hearing aids. I have not heard that they were. I didn't see, you know, hearing aids. You know, I've seen their their bodies in the crime scene for the unredacted, their bodies in the crime scene videos and photos. And I haven't seen any indication that they were hearing aids. And I haven't seen anything to indicate that around the house. So as far as I know, no, they are not hard of hearing. Jenny has a few questions. First, she says, Early in the episode, you said there was blood found, quote, all around the area where the computer was located and the caller ID box. But later in the episode, Glass indicated there was no blood on the computer or printer, indicating they were not pulled down during the attack. Can you elaborate on where specifically the blood was that was found, quote, all around where the computer was located? I wish I could. But that, you know, the, the way this episode specifically because the the transcripts were so long i was literally writing as i was reading so you know if there's a 100 page transcript i'll usually read it kind of make an outline and then go back through with the details you know so i have a better idea where i'm going this testimony was so long that i just basically you guys went along the ride with me so you know i was writing my thoughts as i was reading through the transcripts and yeah at one point he they were talking about the caller id and they said he collected it because there was blood on the caller ID and the and the cords had been cut on the caller ID and there was blood and they thought it had something to do with the crime because there was blood all around the computer. But then when we later we get into the computer and he says there was no blood on the computer. So I don't know if they just means that it's on the floor in the bed, which was right next. You know, I I don't know. I, all I can tell you is what we well you can all see in the video. Which by if you haven't already, if I haven't mentioned this, the video is on our YouTube channel. If you go to the Truth and Justice YouTube channel, the crime scene video is there. But yeah, I, I I don't know. It seems like a contradiction because yeah, at one point he says there's blood all, all in the area. Then another point, he says there was no blood on the actual computer or printer. Next, she says, if the computer being pulled out was part of the staging, given that there seems to be no obvious reason it was pulled out, was there any blood in the other areas that were possibly staged, such as the drawer in the back room or any of the contents of Agnes's purse on the credenza? You know, again, there was what you heard in this episode is everything that was discussed in the testimony. So as far as I know, no, I haven't seen any photos to support that. It seems like there was, I remember seeing just in watching the video, seeing some blood in one of the rooms. I can't remember where, but, you know, they didn't get into any of that. The whole thing, the whole testimony was bizarre. You know, the fact that that of all the different blood samples that were taken, the 50 or 75 blood samples that were taken, that that Welchel, the, the DA, introduces five of them, which my first thought was, well, I've heard that Deb's blood was found in five places on the crime scene. That must be why he introduced these. And then I look at it, and nope, there's like two of the two of them he mentioned are, are like the, I think the caller ID box and um, the trash can lid where her blood was found. But the other places, it wasn't her blood. So I don't, I don't, I don't know... You know, and, and and he was an early witness, so you know he's probably setting things up. And as we move through the trial, we'll 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 find out more. 
But yeah, there was nothing indicated that there was blood in any of those places, and nobody asked during his testimony. And speaking of of staging and the the desk in the back, uh, Smitty's desk where his it looked like it had been rummaged through a little bit. I, I don't know what to believe on that or or how to feel on that because it could be very well be staged. They tried to go find his wallet to make it look like a robbery, but it also could just be that the perpetrator got lucky that it was the top dress drawer, the first thing they found. Right. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, there, there's no way to know definitively, but it definitely, to me, that was not a win for Bayes there. You know, when he's like, well, obviously they pulled that out and that's where the wallet was at because my first reaction was, well, somebody knew the wallet was there. Doesn't necessarily mean that's true, but I also don't think that did Debbie any favors. You know, that, that, that didn't lead the jury down the path of this was an unknown intruder into the house. Yuli says, what do you make of the fact that Agnes's car was parked inside the garage with the garage door down, even though her neighbor, Miss Zabo, testified that she always parked outside during the day and left the garage door open except for when she drove off? If this is true, Agnes would have parked in the driveway after her morning shopping trip. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but that, that, ooh, that really got my, that really got my wheels turning right there. I need to re- I need to come back and readdress this. I'm just thinking, you're right. And and Mabel's testimony, she said that she always parked outside and let the garage door up. But this time, she comes back from the store and pulls inside and closes the garage door. What I'm getting at is, and this is literally spitballing right here on the spot. What if someone was in the car with her, like she had been carjacked or abducted, and someone made her pull inside, you know, and, and that could. You know, who knows? That could explain a lot of things. If somebody was in the car with her and forced her to do that to keep themselves concealed, I just need to, th- I need to think about that some more. But that, that just crossed my mind. One thing that comes to mind for me was when we were looking at the um, car Elnora Griffin drove in season two and how it was moved out of the way of passersby in order to buy what we assumed in order to buy the killer time to escape. Yeah, and and you're exactly right. And that's there's, that's my point is you, there, there's behaviors behind this. In Elnora's case, someone seeing her car there when she was supposed to be at work would have raised alarm bells and would have triggered a response faster. But in this case, concealing the car caused that reaction. Mm. Unless people were, unless someone was, well, I guess it could be the intention was to make it look like they weren't home. But, you know, if the, if the norm during the day was for a car to be left in the driveway, the smart thing to do, if somebody knew the routine, would be to leave the car in the driveway so people th- assume they're inside. But she did say that when she would leave, she would close the garage door. Right. So, like you said, I mean, it could be trying to show that they're gone. Right. But Smitty's car was parked out front on the road, too. Let's not, we can't forget that. So, uh, interesting. Like I said, that, that kind of caught me off guard, but that's something I want to, that is a hy- hypothesis I want to explore further as we move along. All right, our last question comes from Sandy. Who were the beneficiaries of the will if one existed? There was a will, and the beneficiaries were both Debbie and Brenda, uh, the, the, the daughter that they had adopted when she was 21 years old. And that will is a big part of the state's case, and there's a lot of interesting information about that will that's going to come to light as we move forward with the season. But for now, we're going to hit pause on that. We're going to be moving on this week here in two days. Make sure you tune in Sunday where we'll be covering the medical examiner's testimony and the autopsies of Lloyd and Agnes Corbin. 
Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.